Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. JoJo's Chocolate is a delicious dark chocolate snack that was created by a mother battling cancer and sugar cravings, who just wanted a bite of chocolate every day without feeling guilty about what she was eating. When she couldn't find a better choice option that she loved, she created a 70% dark chocolate bar with added plant-based protein to turn her love for chocolate into a daily snack that was both satisfying and good for her. Not only are JoJo's chocolates delicious, but it is always dark chocolate, non-GMO, gluten-free, plant-based, low sugar, low carb, and always contains added protein. I love having JoJo's on hand when I'm wanting an after-dinner treat that is still nourishing to my body. With a wide variety of flavors, there's an option for every member of the family. For 20% off your order of $40 or more, use code CARALYN20 at www.jojoschocolate.com. Once again, that's CARALYN20 for 20% off your order of $40 or more. Dr. Heather McKee is the UK's leading lifestyle behavior change specialist and founder of drheathermckee.co.uk. Having studied health behavior change psychology for 10 years, her mission is to offer a sustainable, evidence-based alternative to an industry saturated with quick fixes and health fads. She supports businesses in designing and evaluating digital and in-person wellness programs for long-term adherence and positive health outcomes. Anne runs the Bite Size Healthy Habits course for individuals looking to create lasting habit change. You can kickstart your own healthy habits by joining her free five-day Bite Size Habits challenge at www.bitesizehabits.co. Dr. McKee's research has been published internationally in leading academic journals, as well as in featuring in Time Magazine, Vogue, Huffington Post, The Times, and LA Times. You guys, I'm super excited today to have Dr. Heather McKee with me. I just love what you teach about habits, things like that. And so I'm really excited to just ask you a lot of questions. So welcome. Thank you. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started studying behavior and behavioral changes. Well, God, I think it almost started, you know, when I, when I was a child, you know, my favorite part of the magazine was, uh, you know, the last page where it's like a life in the day of, <laughs> of what people did. <laughs> and I always wanted to know what people's routines and habits were. But um, I went on um, when I was in university, I uh, ran a metabolic syndrome clinic for people with diabetes and heart disease. And we had, you know, wonderful nutrition plans and wonderful um, personal trainers but a lot of people couldn't still make their healthy habits stick and and it was incredibly frustrating and um, so I ended up sitting down with each of the 60 people in the clinic and what I was just asking them why what was getting in the way and I think that's what really kind of sparked that ignited my my want to uh, learn more about behavior change so then I went on and did a, a master's and a PhD in health behavior change and I think for me as well, I, I made the transition then eventually from academia into into business, and and that was because some of my studies got taken up by the the press worldwide, and and people were asking me, you know, why they were all around them, you know, how do we lose weight without dieting? How do we maintain our behavior changes? And I, I really wanted to be able to translate things beyond academia, so that you know people just like you and me and 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 everyday life could actually use what we know is effective for academia, but actually apply those principles to their lives today, right now. Um, and so I think, you know, that brings us up to today where, you know, I'm really passionate about helping people find that joy in their healthy habits now and do that in an, an evidence-based and evidence-supported way. Oh, that's wonderful. I actually want to talk to you about habits. I want to start at the beginning, though, just with some basics. What is a habit well what makes something a habit is a lot of our day filled with habits yeah great question um so yeah habits two answers so habits are developed through something called context dependent repetition and what that means is do the same thing in the same circumstance enough times and it becomes a habit so you know we 
we walk into the bathroom in the morning and we see the toothbrush, we brush our teeth, you know, we do that often enough and, and that becomes a habit. And, and they work off a cycle of a, of a cue, a routine and a reward. So the cue is, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you want to have fresh breath and being the reward. And that motivates you to initiate the routine, which is the uh, toothbrushing. But over time, you know, that just becomes automatic. And so we don't even have to think about it anymore. And that's the beauty of habits is that they're actually non-conscious processes. So they don't require motivation. They don't require willpower. They don't require us to white knuckle our way there. They're actually non-conscious processes. It's not like, you know, Caroline, you lay in bed this morning, you know, weighing up the pros and cons of dental hygiene or wondering if you're motivated enough to brush your teeth or you're in the zone of toothbrushing. You just did it because it's a habit that you had. Your brain reminded you of it because it's something that you've done time and time and time again. And the interesting thing for the second part of your question is that around 43 percent of our day is made up of the habits that we have. And so it's our routine that matters, not our willpower. And that's why it's so powerful to actually create um, healthy habits because once they become habits you know we don't have to motivate ourselves anymore we don't have to use our willpower anymore and actually they come automatically to us just like brushing our teeth in the morning okay so actually how do we make habits then well the the thing is it's it's about context dependent repetition so we need to repeat something often enough in the same environment for it to become habits and so it's really really important when it comes to habit change that we do things consistently because it's that repetition that builds habit. It's the repetition of a particular behavior in response for a particular reward. So we need to feel good about actually engaging in our behavior. We need to feel like there's a certain reward um, for engaging in our behavior. And that's how both good habits and unhelpful or um, bad habits are formed because all habits, whether they're good or bad, helpful or unhelpful, they're all formed through that habit loop and they're all formed for a particular reward but the key thing about creating a habit is is actually to tie a particular behavior to a particular cue in a particular environment we repeat that often enough and then it becomes a habit okay so there's a myth well maybe it's not a myth I hear Mm -hmm. all the time that it takes 21 days to create a habit or to form that habit is that true um, no, you're right. You're right. Your first instinct's right. It is a myth. <laughs> and that, and it's so interesting because it came, it's an anecdotal myth and it came from plastic surgery research in the 70s. Um, and actually what they found was that that's how long it took for people to actually adapt to their new appearance over time after they'd had plastic surgery. Um, and somehow that got delineated into that's how long it takes to create a habit. Um, but much more recent research has shown it can take anything between 66 and 122 days, depending on how complex the habit is. Um, And I I say that not to throw people off or or make them, you know, feel disheartened. You know, it's it's around a three-month mark. But what I would say is, you know, habits are for life. They're not just for January. You know, it's not like we do all of our toothbrushing in January and expect positive dental hygiene for the rest of the year. And, you know, we you know, if you're not following it anymore, it's not actually a habit. And so when we look at adopting habits, we've got to think about it as a lifetime process. You know, is this something that I'm going to be doing, not just six weeks or six months from now, but six years from now? And I think it's important to take that long-term view because ultimately it gives us then permission to experiment, permission to fail, permission to actually find something that works for us within the complex busyness, craziness of our lives. Okay, so let's talk about this for a little bit, because habits sometimes are really hard to make or to keep, I should say. I've got lots of Mm. habits that I want to create, but they're hard to keep. So does mindset, well, I should say mindset obviously has a role in this then. Yeah, no, yeah, no, and it's true. And I would, I think what you say is absolutely true. And I think that's an important thing to say upfront. Habits are hard, you know, if it was simple, we'd all be following every habit that we wish to create. Um, And that's why I think it's so important to translate what the research finds is most effective. So people have those tools to actually help support them. And and you're absolutely right. Mindset is a huge piece. And and one thing I always say to people on the start of their journey, and I I know this was in one of your Instagram posts um, about, you know, the start of your business journey. And, um, you know, Simon Sinek says that, you know, you want to start with why. 
you know, why is it important for you to make this change? And beyond that number on the scales or the number on your fitness tracker or the number in your bank account or whatever it happens to be, you know, why does it matter for you? I often say, you know, you need five whys to get to your true why. So say, you know, you want to get fitter. Well, why do you want to get fit? Okay, well, I want to, you know, have more energy. Um, why do you want to have more energy? Well, it's because I'm running around after six kids every day. You know, it's, it's, it's burning me out. So, you know, I want to be able to contribute more to those relationships. Why, why is that important? Well, actually, because being a parent is one of my, the most important roles I have in my life. You know, and, and, and it takes a few whys, but if you can ask yourself why five whys, it helps you get to that intrinsic motivation. And, and intrinsic motivation is the sticky motivation. It's not just about, you know, getting fitter is no longer than about getting, you know, X amount of steps on your fitness tracker. Actually, it's about the energy that you, you get back. It's about actually how you can contribute to your family. It's about, you know, actually personally significant values. And so next time you, you wake up and you're, you're, you know, you want to skimp on a workout, you remember that actually, well, this is inherently part of who I am. This is what it gives me back in my life. And then it makes it much more likely that you're going to stick with it rather than the fact that you're doing it, you know, just to get X number of steps um, for the day. Um, And I think this applies to kind of any habit that people are trying to create. It's important to know your why, um, because ultimately that's what's going to keep you going in the trenches. That's what's going to help you build the resilience needed to weather that habit storm, because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. So I love that you say to find your why. I need to actually apply that. Maybe that would help me keep some of my habits better. Okay, so let's talk about then when you have created it or you're trying to create a habit and you fail. What's your Mm. advice for when you fail? So that will happen to everyone because we're all human. Um, So that was the first bit. Like, you know, failure is part of the root success and one of our studies we looked at people that were successful at maintaining their habits long term and their healthy habits and those that you know were successful for a while but then went off track and what we found the key difference between the regainers and the maintainers was that the maintainers were able to learn from their failures and and ultimately the conclusion of our, our research was that failure is success if you learn from it And those maintainers, what they had kind of two key things that helped them overcome failures. And one, it was that they were able to separate themselves from their failures. So they were able to see that it wasn't necessarily a personal failing. It wasn't like there was something inherently wrong with them as an individual. They looked at it more like a system failure, as in, you know, I left myself too hungry at that time. Or, you know, I was in an emotionally vulnerable mood and that's why I gave in to temptation. They actually looked at their systems and then they went back and they said, well, what can I change about this system so I can cope better in that future circumstance? And, and what a lot of them did, um, and it's a quite interesting concept that's, that's used quite a lot in psychology, they, they set plans, failure plans. And, and we call them um, if-then plans in psychology or um, implementation intentions, they're often known as as well. And basically, for future, they thought, well, if X, so if that barrier happens again, what is their alternative? What else can they do in that situation that's going to actually allow them to still stick to your goals? Because if we think about that bigger why, if we think about, you know, having more energy, there's a lot of ways in which, you know, just say you you didn't go for that run this morning. There's other ways in which you can still serve that value. There's other ways in which you can still contribute to that. So say you wake up and you want to go running and it's raining, you know, what are other alternatives that are available to you? Can you do a workout at home? Can you text a buddy and and find another time when you know it's not raining? Can you put on your favorite like raincoat and, and go out and like blast? you know, the top music in your headphones and feel like Rocky and, and just feel super empowered of running in the rain. But the, the, the key thing with implementation intentions is, you know, and then these people that were successful, they identified, you know, the things that got in the way time and time and time again. And they said to themselves, okay, if this is something that's going to be a roadblock, what are other alternatives? And the beauty about experimenting with alternatives is it tells our brains that it's not about all or nothing. It's not just, you know, if it's raining and run doesn't happen. It actually opens up our minds and our neural pathways to other options. And it shows us that actually, you know, we can weather the storm of life because 
the inevitable truth is that we are all going to fail at some stage. But if we look at those failures as learning opportunities, if we look at, well, what's an alternative behavior that I could perform at this time, or what's a way I could learn from this situation, then it's much more likely that we'll actually be able to stay on track long term. That's interesting. So do you think before you start creating a habit that you give yourself an if-then plan? Oh, yeah, it'd be wonderful if people were thinking about that from the start. I think that's brilliant. And and what I would say is, you know, you're not going to get it right as well. You're going to fail at your failure plan. Say, you know, you go to do an online workout, but maybe you don't do one that actually you didn't really like the, the instructor or, you know, went on too long and you, you ended up not having time to get the kids ready or whatever it happened to be you know the thing is you're going to have to experiment with multiple alternatives until you find one or two ones that um you know are going to work for you but so important to failure plan you know one thing that often people fall down on when they come to healthy habits is things like they allow their exercise routine or maybe you know their nutrition to get boring after a while you know and instead of waiting until it gets boring you know why not think about that now well what can you do if, if that's the thing that constantly throws you off track that you get bored there's not enough variety you feel a bit deprived you know what can you do now to alleviate that you know what are other options that are available to you while you're in that height of motivation because your motivation is at its peak when you're starting so use that and harness that motivation you know use that at that time to come up with alternative recipes that you could use you know use that to make a five-week plan use that to think about okay well what makes me excited to exercise is it listening to you know the just ingredients podcast while I'm uh, walking around or is it you know watching Netflix while I while I do the meal batch cooking for the week or whatever it happens to be you know use that motivation now to help prevent things happening in the future and um, we call that primary prevention in in behavior change and it can be really 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 helpful in terms of helping you kind of um, weather the storm and stay on track. I love that advice because a lot of times I'll set a goal or want to create a new habit and I never think of an if then like okay if I fail what's my alternative I just go for it. Like you said, I have a ton of motivation. I just want to go for it. And then I feel like a few weeks in, I'm like, eh, forget it. <laughs> I don't yeah. have the motivation for it or something has happened and I stopped. And so I love that advice. So thank you very much. So now I want to ask you about breaking bad habits. How do you actually break a habit then? You've talked about keeping a habit. What about breaking one? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important question. And it's, Again, it's hard. And I know I keep saying that, but, you know, I, I say that with all the empathy and compassion in the world, like breaking habits is actually a lot harder than making habits. And I always, you know, start with trying to support people to create new helpful habits um, rather than just focusing on breaking habits, because breaking habits is really, really tough. Um, and, and what we want to do is actually create new helpful habits to crowd out those old unhelpful habits um, more often. But I like to look at like bad habits, like a tangled knot, you know, if we've got a knot, like say in our hair or, you know, in our shoelace or whatever it happens to be, you know, if we pull at the middle, if we try and do everything at once, um, it's only going to make that knot tighter. What we want to do is we want to look for those kind of smaller wins on the outside. You know, we want to look at working systematically through the, the knots to actually eventually untangle that knot. And, and how you do that is I kind of take a three-step approach to this. The first thing is to track, you know, when do you give in to temptation most and why? What are your unhelpful habits? We did a study on this where we got people to track on an app, you know, when they gave in to temptation most and why. And it was interesting because there were certain times of day that people gave in most. So they were 3.30 in the day and 8.30 at night. Um, and even inter-individuals, so those individuals themselves, they have specific times of day that they tended to always give in to temptation. And it tended to be the same things for people as well. It tended to be boredom, fatigue, stress, frustration. And so, you know, if you want to understand more about what drives your unhelpful habits or bad habits, and I think the important caveat to say here is every habit is actually you know, serves a purpose. It serves a function in your life, even if it's an unhelpful habit. So learning more about what's driving it is very, very important. But the first step to do that is awareness. So tracking, I would say track for five days, a week if you can. When is temptation happening? When are those bad habits happening? When are those unhelpful habits happening? Where are they happening? What are they? 
And what's the reason that you think? What's the why behind that? And what I mean by that is, like we talked about at the top of the, the call, we talked about, you know, habits are formed through a loop of a cue, a trigger, and in response to a reward. So, you know, the reward is the really, really sticky bit. So if we know, you know, from the tracking, okay, you know, when and where we're giving into temptation most, um, that can be really, really helpful. And what we really, really want to know is what reward do we get from engaging in an unhelpful habit? So for example, you know, if I'm working on a really tough project at work and, you know, I'm finding a bit frustrated with it, you know, and then I whip out my phone and I go on my newsfeed, the reward there is that it relieves my frustration. It gives me a break. It allows me to maybe release some tension. But, you know, the more often I do that, the more unhelpful it becomes and the more likely the next time I'm stuck on a work project, even though if it's something that's quite important to me, I'll, my brain will remember what I did before. And so what we want to do is understand the why behind what drives these habits. So if you're finding, you know, that you're comfort eating or, you know, whatever the habit might be, you know, why is that? You know, what's driving that? Is it stress? Is it loneliness? Is it anxiety? And, and start to dig into the why. So ask yourself when and where are these coming up? But also ask yourself, why is this happening? What's the emotion that's driving this? Because once we know that emotion, once you know the reward that we're getting from our unhelpful habits, we can start to reverse engineer them. So if it is stress, if it's a certain time of day and you're finding it stressful, what are other alternative options to that unhelpful habit? What else can you do in that situation that maybe actually taps a little bit more into a stress relief? So can you, you know, meditate for three minutes while you boil a cup of tea um, to have a break? Can you walk outside for three minutes and just get a breath of fresh air? Start to think about what alternatives actually provide the same reward. And if you can do that, if you can keep the cue the same, you know, the certain time of day or a certain trigger and just change the routine, it can be really, really helpful in terms of replacing those unhelpful habits with more helpful ones. So you want to track when and where they're coming up. You want to really dig into the why it's coming up, what's emotion is driving it. And then you want to look at, well, what else could actually give me that same reward, but be a more helpful or a more functional habit. And that's the, really the key to kind of untangling the habit on. And, and I would say, you know, then once you know, I would take small steps to start to untangle it. I wouldn't try and do everything and all at once. Um, and like I said, you know, three minutes of meditative breathing while the kettle boils instead of like, you know, prescribing yourself a 20 minute sit on a cushion on the top of a mountain kind of meditation. You know, we start small and then and then build those over time and soon you'll be able to build out those helpful habits, which are likely to then create out those unhelpful habits. So one little step at a time. That's what I teach on my platform all the time with a health journey. Just one little change at a time. Don't try to do it all at once. So as I'm listening to you, creating a habit and breaking a habit both sort of have the same plan. It's to be aware of the situation, have a plan and know your why. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say, you know, like they, they both work off the same loop. I, I would say there's kind of a couple of things, you know, you start with your why. And then I would say, you know, then I think what we're creating a habit, it's about thinking about your how, how and you just touched on it there as well. It's about, you know, what's that one small step you can take um, each week. And, and the reason being is because small steps, are actually they don't use up our our willpower um as quickly you know we all think you know new year rolls around and we're all like right i'm gonna give up sugar i'm gonna run every day i'm gonna save us the money i'm gonna be nice to my kids whatever it happens to be and we add all these goals in and it's actually a concept in psychology known as goal dilution it actually dilutes our effectiveness at our focal goal and so what we need to do is actually strip all of that back and actually focus on making one small change at a time I, I always say if it doesn't pass the giggle test, it might not be small enough. So, you know, I say to people, what think about one small change you can make over the next week. And if it's not laughably small, it might not be achievable enough. And, and, and one question to check in with yourself and, and see if that small change is achievable enough is to ask yourself on a scale of one to 100, one being not confident at all and 100 being 100 percent confident. You know, where am I that I'll be able to carry this small change out next week? Um, and if you're not over 70% confident, then you need to make it easier. So if you said, you know, I'm going to make that change on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday, maybe it's only Monday and Wednesday for now. If you said, you know, you're going to run for 30 minutes, maybe it's only 10 minutes to start with. 
And the reason being is because we want that repetition. That's what breeds habit. And so if we make things exceptionally hard, it's much harder to actually sustain the motivation because we deplete our precious willpower. And the interesting thing is the original studies on this, they got people to just floss one tooth versus other people that they told to create a flossing habit. And the ones that were only told to floss one tooth, and I can see you laugh because it's, it's laughably small. It passes the giggle test, right? Well, I'm um, thinking maybe I should give this to my kids. That's what I'm why I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, maybe if I tell them just to floss one tooth, they'll do it. Yeah. Well, they were much more likely to engage because the ramp was was lower. There was less friction to engaging. And actually, once they were there at the flossing party, they thought, well, I might as well floss another couple. And those people repeated the habit often enough and felt good about engaging in that habit. And that's what actually led to them sustaining the habit long term. So I think it's really, really important that actually we make things small enough. And one question you can ask yourself as well is, is my most exhausted self? still going to be able to carry out this habit because we always start off with this really high motivation and we don't think about ourselves in the real world when we're tired when we're stressed maybe we've had a bad email from our boss whatever it happens to be we don't think about ourselves then and I always want people to think about well what would your most exhausted self do and how do you make this easy on that exhausted self Um, and then that's really important as well when it comes to habit change because our lives are going to throw different things at us and if we can't actually sustain our habits through all of the craziness then it's very very hard that they're going to last for life that's really interesting I hadn't thought about that because that is true a lot of times my habits go out the door when I'm exhausted so that's great advice so I want to move topics just a little bit and talk about weight loss because I know you studied weight loss psychology and so I want to talk about habits and weight loss and diet so what do you recommend for people wanting to build habits with weight loss are there certain first steps that you recommend? Do you know that the interesting thing is it's very, very similar to other habits. Uh, but I think what I would say with ec- an extra dose of what you need with, with, with weight loss habits is an extra dose of self-compassion. So what I would say is you do really want to start with that why. You want to step away from focusing all of your efforts on that number on the scales. Because the thing is, When you step on that scale and it tells you something that's inconsistent with the effort that you've been putting in, does that motivate you or does that put you off track? And I think that's a very important question for people to ask because some people are motivated by stepping on the scale. They're the people that step on them frequently enough, but many, many people aren't. And so what I would say is, you know, your effort isn't always displayed on the scales. And so you need to actually look at the process rather than the outcome more. So, you know, is, you know, having a hot water and lemon in the morning actually making you feel refreshed and revived and giving you more energy? Is that lunchtime walk with your dog, you know, allowing you to have more focus when you come back rather than actually measuring everything in appearance outcomes, you know, your number on the scales or your size of jeans that you're wearing. What I would say for anyone in the weight loss journey is, and we all do this, by the way, and it's really interesting research and from a researcher called Kathy Milkman on this, that we all try and actually do the habits that we think are going to be hardest rather than the ones we enjoy when we have we start off in a weight loss journey. So, you know, we go into the gym and we look at that Stairmaster because we think, oh, that's really hard. So it's going to be beneficial. Or we decide that we're going to eat a diet of steamed broccoli because we're like, well, that's hard. So that's going to be the most beneficial thing. But like none of it is helpful if, if it's not something that we're going to stick to. And then so I always say to people in, on their weight loss journey, you know, you need to kind of find joy. And if you can create a joy list of, you know, what are those healthy habits that bring you joy? And if you can tap more into that joy that healthy habits bring about, it's much more likely actually that you'll engage with them more often because who doesn't want to engage with something that's joyful in terms of habit pursuit? And what they found in terms of weight loss is that those one, two goals rather than half two goals are the goals that we're, we're much more likely to follow. So I would say instead of pounding the treadmill for days if it's something that you absolutely hate because you're not going to sustain it if it's something that you hate think about you know what is another form of exercise that you actually enjoy that's going to light you up that's going to make you feel more empowered or even you know what is what are the layers of joy that you can add on to particular exercises like you know listening to your favorite podcast or audiobook when you go out and walk or walking with a friend or or doing things that you actually you know they're, they're the things that if you can layer on joy it just makes habits much more sticky and it's much more likely that you'll stick to them 
So I've noticed as we've been talking that you'll say helpful habits and unhelpful habits rather than bad habits versus good habits. So do we apply that also, I'm assuming, to weight loss? Yeah, that's such a very insightful that you picked that up. But um, yeah, I, I think all too often in weight loss, we moralize our choices. Um, you know, if we eat a certain thing that they so-called off plan, then we think of ourselves as a bad person, you know, or we've made a mistake or we're some sort of failure or whatever. And again, like it goes back to it's system failure. Maybe you left yourself too hungry. Maybe you didn't eat enough at lunch. Maybe you're feeling quite emotional right now. Maybe, you know, you put them in eye lines. So it's very, very hard to resist you know and we make around 250 food-based decisions a day the more often we come into contact with temptations the more likely we are to give in to temptation because our willpower can get depleted willpower is like a muscle you know if I went to the gym every day and just train my left bicep by the time I got to the end of the week I wouldn't be able to lift up you know a glass of water or a cup of tea but if I went and trained it an adequate amount you know it would get stronger over time but if we're depleted from, you know, fatigue, from stress, from multiple other things, then we're much less likely um, to be able to stick with our habits. But the thing is, change is hard. And it's even harder if you're being hard on yourself about it. So moralizing your choices by saying, you know, I'm a bad person because I've done this or I'm a good person because I've done that. is It's just making it harder for yourself to separate yourself from your system. And I think it's really, really important that, especially with weight loss, that we step back and we look at, well, where are the system failures here? Where is the system failed? Because if we can separate it from ourselves, then it's much more likely that we can look at it objectively. And it's much more likely that actually we'll, we'll be less hard on ourselves about it. And so, yeah, I, I like to say helpful and unhelpful habits because I don't want people, like every habit serves a function in some way or another. And, you know, it's all helpful in our brain. You know, it all, our brain thinks all these habits are helpful. But, you know, what, what we want to kind of cultivate is those habits that are more likely to support us and support our value goals and support who we wish to be in the world. But, you know, by telling ourselves we made a good or a bad choice or we have a good or a bad habit, it just moralizes it too much and it brings in the me rather than keeping it objective, keeping it systematic. Well, and we also need to realize on a weight loss journey that we are going to fail just like any habit. There are days that we are going to fail and we just get back up and try again. I love that you call them helpful and unhelpful because I actually call foods (laughs) nourishing or non-nourishing. And it's almost Mm. the same philosophy. Like I want people to nourish their body with nourishing foods, but if they have a couple non-nourishing foods, it's not going to hurt them or kill them. It's when we're doing non-nourishing 24 seven that that becomes the problem, right? You know, when we become extreme Mm -hmm. like that. And it's almost the same thing it sounds like with habits. Like we want helpful habits, but a couple unhelpful is not going to harm the plan, the journey. And we have to be able to have unhelpful habits and like eat unnourishing foods and not feel like a terrible person for it. Um, And, you know, because if, if we, yeah, if we moralize them too much, it's very hard to bounce back from that. Okay, so I want to ask you about willpower because our society creates that this philosophy almost that if you're going to diet, you've got to have a lot of willpower to stick with this diet. What do you say to that? And do you just say, don't diet altogether? So yes, (laughs) Um, I I, I say focus on skill power rather than willpower. And what I mean by skills is things like planning, things like organizing your environment to best support you and and interestingly you know in studies they find that those that are best able to resist temptation or those actually those that have the highest willpower are people who engineer their environment to make it easier to make the healthy choice and what I mean by that is you know they don't open the cupboard and the first thing that smacks them in the face is the packet of potato chips you know and that they open the cupboard and the first thing they see is you maybe cherry tomatoes or you know chopped carrots or whatever so they've engineered their environment because they know okay at the end of the day when I'm finished work I'm going to go rooting in the cupboards to actually look for foods if they're the first foods I see I'm much more likely to engage with those they've engineered their environment in a way that they signed up to fitness class with their friend that they know that they're going to be accountable to they've engineered their environment in a way that they won't walk past, you know, the donut shop when they know that they're depleted and they're tired because they know that they're going to give in to their temptation. They've engineered their environment that they always get the smaller size cup when they go to the um, coffee shop where they bring their own their own coffee coffee cup with them. 
they don't rely on their future self to have willpower. They trust that their future self is going to actually give in to temptation. And, that, and that's what I, I think is very, very important in any weight loss journey is to actually try and be your future self's best friend, to understand that willpower is unreliable and it's going to fail. And so if you set yourself up for the fact that you might think you might fail in a certain circumstance, then it's much more likely that you'll succeed because you've given yourself the compassion and you've given yourself the tools to be able to stick with things instead of relying on your unreliable willpower so you don't leave yourself vulnerable in certain situations you've already got things in place that are actually going to help you and um, stick with your habits so another thing would be putting your phone on focus mode so that it automatically kicks you off social media after a certain time so you can get a good night's sleep we want to engage in unhelpful habits you know we're driven to engage in unhelpful habits for some certain rewards so we can engineer our environment to actually support and make the helpful choice the more obvious or easy choice another example would be you know if we're trying to cut down on tv and you know when we walk into our living room and the first thing we see is our tv and all our furniture is arranged around our tv um you know and our remote is just there and um james clear talks about this in the in atomic habits really well you know let's introduce friction make it harder to engage in those unhelpful habits so you know hide the remote or put it somewhere else unplug tv each time can you set a timer for certain shows can you set a night where actually this is family tv nice and make a special occasion of it can you rearrange the furniture in your living room can you just introduce a little bit more friction to make it harder to engage in the unhelpful habits and then reduce the friction like putting out your yoga gear you know laughing at night or rolling out the yoga mat or your weight so you have to trip over them in the morning to actually go and do anything that lowers the friction to engaging in your helpful habits so I would say you know do your best whatever you can to set up your environment so that you're not actually relying on your willpower that you're relying on your skill power you're relying on actually those things that you've already put in place to help support you with your habits I've never used that term skill power. And I actually really like that because really for any habit to become successful, there's got to be planning beforehand. And so I love mm. that you're going to use your skills of planning and organizing and being aware and knowing your why rather than just sheer determination. So thank you yeah. for explaining that. But now I have a question for you because I know a lot of people get on a weight loss journey or try to create these weight loss habits and they get frustrated over time because they've tried mm -hmm. to do what you've said, like, you know, plan and be aware and do those things. But then the weight loss is just plateau or their goals have just mm -hmm. become plateau. So what do you suggest to that? Yeah, and I, I think that's really hard. But that is actually what happens to everyone on a weight loss journey. So the first thing is to acknowledge that a plateau is a very, very normal part of a weight loss journey. And the problem is when people plateau is then because we can lose weight quite quickly on a, at the start of a weight loss journey. But after around 12, 16 weeks, three, sometimes three months, we can start to plateau. Um, and often that's because we've you know, introduced a lot of new habits and everything else. Um, and then it gets a little bit harder to sustain those. And, and where people tend to kind of fall off the wagon is that once they reach that plateau, they try and do more. They try and step it up, step it up, step it up. So they'll try and eat double the amount of broccoli that they had before and double the amount on this and the Stairmaster and, and everything else. And actually that's where things can get really, really dangerous. And so I think the first step in that is the acceptance of a plateau is very, very normal in a weight loss journey. It's a physiological response. I would keep sustaining the existing habits that you have. If you feel quite comfortable with those habits and you feel like they're quite embedded in your life, then you can start to, you know, add in maybe one or two um, new things. But I would be very, very cautious about what you add in because ultimately, you know, what we know from a lot of weight loss studies is the more weight that you lose quicker the more likely you are to put on weight long term. And so actually those that actually sustainably 
lose very, very small amounts of weight, but are more consistent. And that's because they've developed habits that are small enough to maintain. They've developed habits that are small enough that they don't use their precious willpower. They developed habits that are enjoyable enough that fit in their life. So they're actually wanting to sustain those habits. Those are the people that are most successful long term. And so what I would say is don't lose heart because plateauing is a very, very, very normal part of a weight loss journey. And I would go back to your joy list and continue to think about why, how have you got here? Look at your progress so far. Look at back down the mountain. Look at how far you come. Because one problem in weight loss is everyone's obsessed with how far they have to go. And they don't give themselves credit for how far they've come and all of the new habits that they've established. And I would say, and I, I know that this is, you know, quite hard to do, but I would have faith, you know, and, and trust in the fact that if they continue to consistently engage in the process, that they will lose weight, that they will break through this plateau. But the key is to not try and do too many things all at once when you do start to plateau, because that's when people start to go in reverse. Um, and that can be quite dangerous. So is it the same advice for those that have done weight loss journey after weight loss journey after weight loss journey and have tried a variety of habits and nothing has worked. So they're just at a level of frustration. Like I don't want to go on another one because mm -hmm. I've failed every time and I don't want to see that but, failure again. Yeah. And I, I can imagine like, but like that's hard. That is so hard to have tried and tried and tried. And what I would say to people is, they have incredible willpower because they've been knocked back so many times and yet they keep picking themselves up. And there's something in there driving them on time and time and time again. And I would look to harness that. So the first thing I would get them to do is I would get them to list all of the diets that they've been on in the past, what's worked for them, what hasn't, and actually do a bit of a behavioral investigation. When around that they've been doing these particular diets, do they find they go off track? Is it the same time? Is it in response to the same trigger? Is it a similar situation? Because what we find is there's very, very, for a lot of people, there's certain patterns. So they'll do really well for four weeks, but then things will just get too hard. And often that's because they've done too much too soon or they haven't done things again that are right for them and I know like you know it sounds like I'm saying the same things over and over again but it's so so important that you know we look at pace when it comes to weight loss because pace is ultimately what's going to help you create sustainable long-term changes and so look at where you failed in the past what are the key learnings because there's going to be so much insight in there is it after a couple of weeks you know is it that you get bored or you feel too deprived and, and one thing um I used to do um, some weight loss and weight maintenance coaching. And one thing that we'd always start with is, you know, what are people's favorite meals? What are their favorite things to have? Let's start, let's make sure that you have those every single week. Because two key things that we know from long-term literature and from meta-analysis, so there are studies of studies um, into weight loss, is that deprivation and stress are the key kind of factors that throw people off course. And as soon as people start to feel deprived, that's when they start to give in to unhelpful habits and, you know, they go off course. So I would ask yourself, you know, was it deprivation that threw you off? What did you feel deprived of? What way can you bring that back into your routine to actually help support you, to keep you on track? But let's let's try it in a, in a measured way. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to have takeaways every night. And um, you have a concept in psychology called delayed gratification. So, you know, what's the best night of the week for you to celebrate and, and have a lovely meal you know what's the best you know donut you can buy you know and when can you have that in your week that's going to be most motivating for you so that you can help you can resist the other donuts knowing that your donuts are part of your life and, and everyone should be able to enjoy the foods that they love it's about training ourselves to not want to have them all of the time and the problem with dieting is that we feel so deprived that that's all we want to do is we want to rebel against the system and, and even they've shown in studies that even showing people the word diet causes them to overcompensate and eat more because their fear of future deprivation looms so large so what I would say is you know examine those past failures look at what's thrown you off track see if there's any particular element and see if deprivation is of course is you know is an issue for you and think about okay well what did I feel deprived of and how can I bring that back in a measured and enjoyable way you know how can I most enjoy these things that I love in my life and still feel like I'm able to you know live my happiest and healthiest life 
I think that's a key factor is finding the joy in it because so many people do restrict, restrict, and then it's not joyful. It's Mm -hmm. terrible. And then they end up giving up. And yeah. And I agree that it's, you know, it's not one donut that's going to hurt you. It's the donut every single day that's going to hurt you. And so I love that you say, find what it is that you're going to, or that one meal or treat that you're going to enjoy in this journey. What do you say though? Cause I talk about one little step at a time on my platform. I talk about getting on a health journey, making better choices on a health journey. And I have women that tell me quite often, I just can't. Like, I just know I can't. So what do you tell those people that just think they can't make these habits? Yeah, I, I'd be interested to to understand why. Um, and, I, and I often feel maybe that's a confidence issue. Like if you've tried and tried and tried at something and you've been knocked back so many times, it's very hard to cultivate the self-belief that you can succeed. Um, and that's the reason, again, that small changes are so important because what they do is every time that you actually engage with them you prove to yourself that you're the type of person that engages with your goals and you know people always say you well, you know I and I talk about you know uh, like I mentioned you know the giggle test if they don't pass the giggle test if they're not laughably small like we're flossing one tooth you know they're they're not small enough but the key thing is when we're depriving ourselves say we say we're going to give up sugar that doesn't give us a positive feeling you know, whereas actually, if we say I'm going to replace sugary drinks with fizzy water, every time we have a fizzy water, we are actually activating something in our brain. It's just called dopamine. And, and dopamine is a learning hormone. And basically what it does is it trains our brain to tell us what, what good things are. It trains our brain to look for rewards. It's like a neurotransmitter pat on the back essentially and basically every time that we engage with that water we remind ourselves actually I am someone that sticks with my goals I am someone that can do this I am they prove it to themselves through small wins and they release that dopamine and what I would say to anyone you know at the start of a habit journey dopamine is so so important to cultivate and BJ Fogg he's the author of um, Tiny Habits brilliant brilliant book um, and he talks about you want to create this feeling of shine on demand so you know when you drink that glass of water you want to feel good on demand and dopamine only lasts about 30 to 60 seconds so we want it to happen immediately afterwards how do you create that you celebrate how do you celebrate that doesn't matter whatever works for you you can do Usain Bolt you know like any athlete would celebrate after you know like a basketball player or anyone would celebrate after they score a goal you can nod to yourself smile to yourself I like to do like a drum roll on my desk or a smiley face on my to-do list anything that reinforces that that small behavior that you just performed was positive and helps you feel good on demand sometimes I just put my hand on my heart and say I'm someone who follows through with my goals and reaffirm it to myself because your brain needs to be trained in that self-belief it needs to be trained that you actually are someone that can achieve things and people say Oh, Heather, here, listen, like, why should, you know, I I feel good about drinking a glass of fizzy water? And what I would say is dopamine is going to fast track your habit learning experience. So it's going to make it more likely that those habits will stick because your brain is going to be on the lookout for what was that thing that made me feel good? I wouldn't do that again. Secondly, change is hard and it's even harder if we're being hard on ourselves about it. So if we're looking at our nose and at ourselves for only drinking one glass of water, we're not going to be successful. We're not going to release that happy hormone. We're not going to release dopamine and we're not going to actually help build that self-belief. And, and so what I would say for anyone who really is kind of struggling with their journey is start as small as you can and you'll start to prove to yourself through these small wins. And if you can actually put it, I keep looking at my glass of water, but um, if you can put it in your environment, put it somewhere obvious as well, you know, you will remind your brain that's, that's something to engage with. And every time you do it, just take two seconds, three seconds, whatever it is, immediately afterwards, and remind yourself of the fact that you're following through your goals. Over time, that will help you build that self-belief. And actually, ultimately, you know, that's what's really, really key to actually engaging with things long term. I love that advice so much because I'll tell you why. I went on a health journey for, well, I've been on a health journey for 15 years. One of the last things that I needed to get rid of was Diet Coke. It was just a favorite of mine and I loved drinking it, but I knew it was not good for me. So I tried three different times of restricting 
Like, okay, I'm just, today's the day. I'm not going to have it anymore. And I was trying to accomplish this habit with willpower. Finally, mm-hmm. and it never worked. I would last, you know, two, three weeks, and then I would give in. Finally, when I found a replacement for the Diet Coke, a fizzy drink, like you said, that I loved, well, every day I would just reach for that fizzy drink that was nutritious and nourishing. And every day I was like, wow, I'm actually really proud of myself. I don't want that Diet Coke. And it was a different mindset. It was like, oh, I did it again today. Oh, look at me. I'm accomplishing this. Oh, wow. I'm proud of myself. And eventually it just became a new habit. Rather than restrict, restrict, I can't do this. It was purely a self-confidence and mindset, like you said. So thank you for sharing that because it is really true. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate all the advice that you've given and all these little tips about habits. Is there anything else that you want to tell these people that are trying to create these new helpful habits? Yeah, I suppose I, I would say, you know, we're all kind of looking for that secret sauce. You know, we're all looking for that one thing that's going to make that change that we've always wanted to have. And I think it's time that people stop and realize that you are the secret sauce. You know, only you can change your habits. And it's it's about actually understanding how you work and setting up your environment to support you, understanding why you fail, understanding what's going to support you um, best. And, and I think, you know, the key here is actually to look at how we can cultivate our own skills and habits and stop looking for um, answers outside of ourselves because we've all we've all got that strength within us. It's about cultivating it. It's about consistency and it's about finding joy along the journey. Thank you so much. I couldn't agree more. So tell my listeners where they can best find you. So well, at the moment, actually, I've got a a free five day video challenge, which is kind of a lot of what we talked about today, but you know, key evidence-based tools that people can kickstart their healthy habit journey. Um, and that's at bitesizehabits.co. So dot co. And yeah, that's just a lovely evidence-based way. It's five videos over five days, really, really simple. And you know, a lot of people are getting a lot of value from it. And it can really help kickstart um, a healthy habit change. I love that. And I love those just small, little tiny steps to help them along the way. I always close my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. Oh, well, I think it's been a bit of a theme of this podcast, but I would say joy. You know, if you can find joy, the rest is easy. Um, You know, I find joy in my career. You know, I, I, I encourage by encouraging people to find joy in their healthy habits. Because, you know, the habits that you enjoy are the ones that you stick with. And so, you know, why, why wouldn't we want a more joyful life and a happier and healthier life? Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And I know my listeners have learned so much from you today. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.